When I agreed to do Labor Day, because as most people here know, we're in between senior ministers, I figured there'd be like 10 people out here. <laughs> so I was going to take the easy one. It's been about two years since I preached, and I'm grateful and thankful of the opportunity to preach in front of the church again. For those that don't know me, I'm Carl Pafford. I'm one of the elders, and I've served on elders here approximately seven years, um, with a year hiatus just to kind of recoup and recover. It was Labor Day weekend, and of course I was like, wow, Labor Day, that's Monday off. And I started thinking about what am I going to preach about, what am I going to talk about. Well, obviously it's got to be something about Labor Day. So as I was doing my research, I was like, what is Labor Day? Well, officially Labor Day is the American federal holiday observed on the first Monday in September, which will be the third for us this year, that celebrates the economic and social contributions of workers. Basically, the workers, the unions, back in the early 1900s, got together and said, we have a Veterans Day, we have President's Day. How about something that celebrates us? And they pushed it through and it became a national holiday. So that's the official Labor Day. For many people, it's the holiday that marks the end of summer. The pool right next door is going to be closed after tomorrow. Amusement parks closed. Schools, like say Virginia where I'm from, don't start till after Labor Day. It's the official end of summer. For me personally, it's the start of the football season. College started on Thursday all the way through this weekend. You can ask my family. I plopped myself right in front of the TV yesterday. And then pro starts this week. And next weekend's great pro weekend. So for football fans, this is a great time of the year. And finally, those of you that are fashion conscious, Labor Day marks the end of when you're supposed to wear white or seersucker if you're a male. It's considered inappropriate to wear it. So those of you that have seersucker, that Panama Jack suit that's out there, tomorrow's the last day. Anyway, as I was preparing for Labor Day, I thought for sure I was going to be talking about laboring for the Lord. There's lots of good verses on it. There's lots of things about laboring for the Lord, examples of people in the Bible who labor for the Lord. But as I worked into it, it subtly changed. And it changed from laboring for the Lord to what is work. We celebrate labor. We celebrate working. But what is work? And the question that kept hitting me was, do we celebrate work? Should we celebrate work? What does celebrating work mean? So as I put together the study and the sermon, it really hit me. Should we celebrate work? Should Labor Day be a time to remember celebrating work as opposed to the people who do the work? Well, as we dive into this sermon, would you pray with me, please? Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your house today. I ask, Lord, as we look into Scripture and look into just different examples that you've given us, Lord, through your word of work and what it means, Lord, that we would learn um, how important work is, not just to uh, those of us here across the United States with Labor Day, but for every Christian, what it means to work and what we're to do with it. Thank you for your word and the knowledge that's in it. Lord, I pray that I would speak your will and your word and not my own in this. Guide our uh, sermon time here, Lord, and that everybody's heart would be open to what you desire them to learn. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if we're going to talk about work, first question is, what is work? Dictionary.com, Webster's Dictionary, you can go to many different places. Those of you that have heard me preach before, you know I always have a definition. This is the definition. Work is exertion or effort directed to produce or accomplish something. Labor or toil. So notice there isn't a work that says this is work. This is an action, exertion, effort to accomplish something. That's what work is. I say all the time, well, I'm going to work today. As the, most of you know, I'm a physician. 
I work lots of hours. I'm going to work. Well, work is more than employment. Work is more than this noun that says, oh, I'm going to work. Work is exertion or effort that can be accomplished towards many things. So the next question is, who works? Um, the first one we think of, obviously, is the employer or the employed, somebody that either gets a salary or volunteers and some sort of corporate or business structure. They're working. That's the one we all think of when we say work. When I say I'm going to work, it's to go up to Tipton Hospital and to be a family physician up there. Others like, well, I'll pick on him because he's not here, but Craig Hunter, when he says work, he goes to Meyer and he works at Meyer. Everybody that I know has a mindset of if they're employed, when you say work, that's the first thing they say, I work at such and such or I do this. But work's more than that. The second one there is what I call the stay-at-homers. I joke, and I was forbidden to pull a Joshua and mention certain individuals in my family. So I will just say that those that choose to stay at home actually work, they toil and exert themselves more than I do at my job up in Tipton. So stay-at-homers, people that, quote, aren't employed or aren't volunteering in a set um, relationship, work as well. My kids know the next one, students work. My students at home will tell you flat out, what do I say over and over again? Your job as a student is to prepare yourself for college, workplace, or the military to get out. That's their work. And to their credit, in my house at least, they toil. And I know other students are the same way. And finally, believe it or not, children work. A child just doesn't suddenly get up and start walking, doesn't develop a social value set. That's work, that's development that happens. They toil and exert themselves. I take care of from death or birth to death. I have newborns in there. And you see over time how these kids work themselves physically and mentally and even emotionally. So they're doing work. So work is not just employment. And I want to make that point early on that as I'm talking about work, it's for everybody here. Everybody here works in some way, whether you're drawing a paycheck or not, whether you're at home volunteering, student, small child, Everybody here works. So how is work viewed? I can tell you for myself, early on in my Christian walk down in South Carolina, I went to a church called Kingsway Christian Church, and I remember these verses being spoken in a sermon by our pastor. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. My biblical view of work was I should be sweating. I should be toiling. I actually felt guilty at times when I was enjoying myself in times of work because my understanding early on in my walk was, Well, God says in his word right there, it's supposed to be miserable. Because of original sin, we're supposed to sweat. It's supposed to be this agony. In Ecclesiastes, which for those of you who don't know, Ecclesiastes is the book in the Old Testament after Proverbs. It's attributed traditionally to Solomon, although some scholars nowadays are arguing in that theological realm of whether it was really Solomon or somebody known as the teacher who knew Solomon. I'm not going to dive into that here today. I will say that it is not an uplifting book for the most part. It's not one like, say, Song of Solomon where you go to and you want to be lifted up. I heard it once described as, picture a bag of loose hardware pieces. And you've got to reach in and grab a couple pearls out of it. Because there are pearls in Ecclesiastes, but when you reach in and you can't see, 
98 times out of 100, it's kind of painful. That's Ecclesiastes, okay? And the author of Ecclesiastes in chapter 2, verses 23, or 22 and 23 says, What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. So this author of this biblical book saying, what is the purpose of work? I toil, I toil, I'm laying awake at night. I don't know about uh, most of y'all out there, but for myself, I'm making a job change at the end of the year, and I spent nights laying awake, just what the author said, at night their minds do not rest. Is this work? Well, we're going to come back to this, because I hope to show you that that is not work. But from time immemorial, we have struggled with this concept of how we view work and what work is. Well, first and foremost, work was created by God. Genesis 2, chapter 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Work is cited twice in this verse. He worked. We know we serve a holy God. He is incapable of doing evil or bad. It's a fact. Definition of holy. Because of that, if he is doing work, it must be good. That's the foundation of which I'm building everything off of. Work in itself is good. We were created for work. A little bit later in the chapter, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We were created for this good thing called work. Now, if you're paying attention, this is 15, and then later we get to the original sin that we talked about before, with the toil and the sweat, but we were created for this good thing called work. Later, original sin came in, and we have toil, we have sweat. But we as humans, everybody sitting here, was created for this good thing called work. Well, if we were created for work, there must be something good out of it, even though often we don't see that. There are many benefits to work. And as I was doing my study, like most people, you hit many different Sermons online, you go to the Bible, you go to the commentaries, you try to pull things together. I could do a complete sermon on the benefits of work. We could probably do a series that lasts through the summer, or now the fall, I guess, since it's the official end of summer, but on work and the benefits and everything. But I wanted to bring up just a couple brief things about the benefits of work. The first is, work is a means to serve God. In Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. By doing work and doing it well, we are serving God in whatever capacity that is. There's many ways to serve God, but one of them is through our work. Second thing it does, it provides satisfaction. Proverbs 13.4 A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. I think most people here, stepping out on a limb, I think everybody here at some point in their life has experienced satisfaction from doing something well. Not in that prideful, oh, look at me, but that just sense of, wow, I've hit it. And the author of Proverbs, Solomon, says, you know, the diligent are fully satisfied. So by doing good work, we can become satisfied. Third thing it does is it meets our needs. Proverbs 12.1, those who laid their land, excuse me, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Those who work their land have abundant food. It's a means to provide for ourselves. God created it. 
as it said, for Adam to work the garden. And out of the garden, it was to provide for him and Eve. And then for original sin, it became hard work. Out of that, in addition to that, it also provides an abundance, sort of what Joshua was talking about, above meeting our needs. Proverbs 10.4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. There is an opportunity, and maybe you won't reach that. Many people do, of when you work to not only meet your needs, but to go above and beyond, to generate that wealth, that extra income, that extra whatever, whether it's money, investments, as Joshua said, whatever it may be. And out of that abundance, what comes next is the ability to bless others. There's two ways to do that. The first is financially, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So as you work and you provide for yourself and you develop that abundance, we're called to give it, give it to the Lord, give it to other good uses. Here we talk about the tithe, but we also support many missions. We also do many things with our resources. That's one way we can serve. But the other way, the one that we tend not to think about, is by working we can serve others directly. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. By working, you can serve others directly. Whether or not you're financially contributing, any sort of work can be turned around to help others. So those are the five benefits out of many benefits of work. So if we're working, we know there's a positive, there's always a negative. It's the way we're created. What pitfalls do we need to look out for when we work? Well, the first one is laziness. And I'll just say, again, you want a sermon? I could sermon for 45 days on laziness. The Bible and Proverbs are full of more Proverbs about laziness than you can imagine. But I'm just going to focus on a couple of those. I will say that I think since Adam and Eve, every generation thinks the generation that comes after him is lazy. I know we were just talking about that last night with some of my brother-in-laws. We look back and say, the kids these days don't know what it's like. I remember my dad telling me, you guys don't know what it's like. And his dad said the same thing all the way back. So laziness can be a perspective, per se, as things change. But we need to avoid the pitfall of laziness. What are some of the things that laziness can lead to? The first is disgrace. Proverbs 10.5, He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. It brings disgrace. Um, Whether it's your children, family members, somebody you work with, it is considered disgraceful to be labeled a lazy person. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it is. So one of the worst things at my place of employment, if somebody gets a review that says they're lazy, not pulling their weight, it's something that's taken very seriously. It also leads to unfulfilled desires. Proverbs 13.4 A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. A sluggard's, appet- a sluggard's appetite is never filled. If you're lazy, you aren't doing anything. You're looking at all these things you want. You're desiring these things that you, if potentially, you're diligent and you work, you can grasp, but because you're lazy, you can't. You have these unfulfilled desires. And as we know from other sermons we've had in the past, unfulfilled desires can lead to sin issues and further out problems with our life. 
also irritates those they work for. Proverbs 10.26, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so sluggards are to those who send them. Two weeks ago, the burn ban was lifted. We had our first bonfire of the summer, which we were grateful for, but the smoke also seemed to find its way in the eyes. Very irritating. It stings. It keeps going on. It eats at you. I've never had vinegar in the mouth. I assume it's unpleasant to drink straight vinegar. I don't like vinegar. But if you're at sluggers to those who send them, it is irritating. I have been an employer. I've also been an employee and seen if you're lazy, it irritates. If you're a student or a child, it's irritating to parents or those placed over you. You irritate those whom have responsibility to you. And finally, laziness can lead to poverty. Proverbs 20, verse 4. Sluggers do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. Again, unfulfilled desires, you can have unfulfilled pantry. If you're lazy, and I'm not going to open the whole social, you know, church giving uh, to orphans and widows versus societal's obligation, I'm not going to go there again. That's a complete sermon. But what the writer of Proverbs is saying, if you don't work, don't expect to have anything. You can be poor. Now, it doesn't mean that because you're working, you will be wealthy. But if you don't work, you won't be wealthy. So that was the first pitfall, laziness, and one that, you know, being a father of teenagers, I tend to focus on a little bit. Because, as I said, every generation thinks the generation behind them is lazy compared to them when they were a teen. Next one is greed. When you're um, working, it's easy to get caught up in that, that greed cycle. I've made a little bit more, I want to spend more, chasing that golden ring. And quite frankly, in America, it's easy to get caught up in it. Look at the cars, look at the houses, look at everything out there. I have more, I need to spend more. Oh, I can leverage this credit card and get more. just goes on and on and on. Your mind changes and you focus on having more or becoming greedy. Proverbs 15:27. The greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates bribes will live. The first part of this, the greedy bring ruin to their households. If you're chasing that buck, if you're chasing through work what's going to get you more, your household can fall apart. In addition, God speaks very plainly on greed. In Isaiah 57:17, I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger, yet they kept on in their willful ways. He says right there, I was enraged by greed. Again, work is a good thing, but the pitfall of greed, as it says in God's word, can bring the rage of God upon you. Another thing to avoid, boastful behavior. James 4.16. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. When we look at our work and we boast about what we do if it's going well, we're bringing attention to ourselves, not to the center of work and why we're working which, again, a little bit later in the sermon, we'll talk a little bit more. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, and this is refer, or excuse me, referencing Jeremiah chapter 9, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. When we boast at our job, when we boast at anything, it should be what the Lord is doing. It should not be in the fact that, wow, I have this great job, or I did this great work, whether it's in employment or not, or I have a 4.93, you know, why do you have a form of part 93? Because I worked hard. Well, that, that steps away from the truth. And the truth is, it needs to be brought back to God and what God has done with what the work you've done. Next thing, making excuses for ourselves. Got to be careful when working, whether it's in employment or around the house or as a student, wherever it is. Proverbs 22:13. 
The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll, kill, I'll be killed in the public square. Right there, he's saying, there's an excuse. I can't go out. I can't do this. I'm going to get killed. You know, somebody's out to get me. I can't do this. Pick whatever reason. Well, I was really tired, so I chose not to do what I was supposed to do. Well, I saw 25 patients this morning, so I don't have time to get my work done here. Well, I'll get my homework done later because, you know, I was real busy and went to the football game, and I'm really tired, but I'll get it done. Whatever it is, we shouldn't be making excuses when we work. Finally, the get-rich-quick. Remember the prodigal son, Luke 15? That son who didn't want to work. His dad had a very successful business at the time. He wanted his share. He took the money out, and he went away, and he blew it. And then we know the story. Then he came back. But how many people are that? oh, if I just do this, I'll make this money? You know, whether it's borrowing um, on a credit card, if I do this, I see to get it back. Um, lottery, and again, I'm not picking on a lottery, but, you know, again, I've heard people say, and I see it at work, people that work as a housekeeper, they're literally making minimum wage, they go out and buy $25 worth of lottery tickets every week. You know, if I hit this, then it will be okay. Another pitfall to avoid. So laziness, greed, boastful behavior, making excuses, and this concept that we can get rich quick. And again, read Proverbs. There are a lot more pitfalls when it comes when we work. So let's bring it back to where I started at, and the author of Ecclesiastes, on how work is viewed. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. Well, One of the pearls in this bag of hardware gear is his next verse, verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. He's answering his own question with, it's okay to work and to toil and to take satisfaction in that because work is a gift from God. That's the underlying. We talked about in the beginning. God created work. We were created for work. This work is a gift from God. And with any gift, we should celebrate that gift. I came across this uh, quote, and I really liked it, from Elizabeth Elliot. Work is a blessing. God has so arranged the world that work is necessary, and he gives us hands and strength to do it. The enjoyment of leisure would be nothing if we had only leisure. It is the joy of work well done that enables us to enjoy rest, just as it is the experiences of hunger and thirst that make food and drink such pleasures. What Elizabeth Elliot's saying here is work was created. It's a blessing. We don't realize, you know, that song, don't realize what you got till it's gone. Well, the same with work. Through sin, and let's not make any mistake, there is toil, there is sweat. But there is satisfaction if we remember one of the benefits. Why? God created something for us to do. And because we experience those other downsides of work, we can really appreciate what work is. Let's go back to uh, Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son. Towards the end at 22 to 24. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Hope I don't need that pick. Um, (laughs) 
we should celebrate any gift we get from God. Here, even though this parable is often used for the lost sinner returning to the fold, the father was saying, celebrate. I have a gift back. The gift is the life of my son back, despite everything that happened. And they killed the fattened calf. In Exodus, if you remember, they celebrate the Passover at the direction of uh, God. Passover is a celebration reminding Israel how God brought them out of Egypt, how he saved the firstborn. And he lays out very specific things there to do. But Passover is not just a remembrance, it's a celebration. And they celebrate Passover every year. So as we look at any gift from God, we need to celebrate it. When we celebrate, it should be joyful. It doesn't mean that we turn our back on the downsides. It doesn't mean that we turn our back on the negatives of sweat and toil, but like Elizabeth Elliot said, we see what's good because of that. Instead, we should celebrate work. And one of the ways we can do that is by, when we celebrate, we worship. We talk about celebrating communion. We worship God through communion. Um, I've got a short video that's going to come on and this sermon up. And what it talks about is worshiping through work. And I want everybody to think this. And why this focuses on the nine-to-five job, why this focuses this video on that, like I said in the beginning, everything ties back to anybody that works. Maybe you aren't in a nine-to-five job. I want you to focus on how you can worship God. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, Lord, we thank you so much um, for the blessing of work. And why there's so much um, that you speak about work, there's so much that we ourselves can experience directly. Lord, we ask that you would bless us, bless each and every one of us, however we work. Um, Help us to avoid the pitfalls and to enjoy the benefits. But also, Lord, that not just on Sunday, not just on Labor Day, that um, every day we would remember the blessing of work and that we could change wherever we work into an area of worship for you and for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the 9 to 5 with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. 
When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in the church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship.